Welcome to the Jannie and Angie Show with January Donovan and Angela Schneiders. We have a dream to rebuild our church and restore the tender love of Christ to every human heart. We believe in women's irreplaceable role in rebuilding our church, our culture, and our domestic church. As St. Catherine of Siena reminds us, be who God meant you to be, and you will set the world on fire. It is time to rise and reclaim souls for Christ. We must deepen our formation as women and prepare ourselves to lead the new evangelization. Our vision in the Women's School is to build our church one woman's formation at a time, and only then will we set the world on fire for Christ. Good morning and welcome to the Janie and Angie show, Rebuild Our Church. We are so blessed this morning to be with uh, my dear friend, one of the women I admire most, Christine Rich. We met uh, several years ago through my husband's work at the St. Paul Center in Scott Hahn. And I think um, from those first couple of encounters, Christine, I just felt like I was meeting a soul sister and um, that, you know, our lady truly had brought us together. So we are just so excited to have you on the show this morning. And before we dive in and learn more about your journey, uh, I'd love to open us in prayer. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we are so filled with gratitude for your gifts, for the gift of life, for the gift of this time together and this conversation that you have uh, brought about. And we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to be present, to animate our hearts, to help us to speak truth, goodness, and beauty uh, into our world, and most especially into the hearts of women as we strive uh, to correspond with your Holy Spirit to rebuild our church, specifically through the domestic church. Lord Jesus, truly send your Spirit to lead and facilitate our time together uh, and just fill us with hope, fill us with uh, the desires of your heart so that we can bring your light to the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Christine, we are just so honored uh, to have you with us this morning. Um, I think it just really struck me in some of our initial conversations uh, you just stand apart, uh, you and your husband, Joe. Uh, Christine is from Southern California. And what really struck me about you, Christine, again, is, is who you are as a wife and a mother and your dedication to your family and simultaneously who you are in living out God's dream that he's placed upon your heart as an entrepreneur. Uh, Christine is the co-founder of My Saint, My Hero. She has a background in, uh, in journalism from USC. Uh, you've helped your husband and his entrepreneurial efforts, and most recently, you have uh, been the founding partner of Archetype, which is an entrepreneurial effort to launch young entrepreneurs into their God-given mission and really help um, uh, entrepreneurs, I think, both in the faith um, and perhaps even those that are exploring the faith to really come to understand wealth, to understand um, how it is so necessary for us to raise up entrepreneurs in the church who are living out that God-given mission and that there's not a contradiction between wealth and holiness, that they're actually um, one in the same and are necessary for the thriving of the church in our domestic church. So Christine, we're just so excited. Uh, Janie's going to share just some of our hopes and goals for our time together this morning um, so as we continue to dive Thank you, Christine. It's an honor, especially as a mom and as an entrepreneur to learn and just straight from your cup today, especially because I am a young mom, I guess, young as I have younger children. <laughs> but, you know, just to learn, I think, to find that role model of somebody who's able to marry both. I sat through Kimberly Hahn's Proverbs 31 in her basement with 300 women for a whole semester, like literally shoulder to shoulder, where she broke down Proverbs 31. I can't help but think, she was the entrepreneur woman. Proverbs 31 was the ideal wife. And it really spoke about her entrepreneurship. So just, I don't know why that just sort of resonates with me so much. And sitting in Dr. Han's basement, <laughs> trying to learn. Entrepreneur I'm going to write that down. I wish I would have had that opportunity. <laughs> honestly, was life-changing. She did it every semester. Finally, she had to write a book about it. But we sat there in her basement inhaling wisdom we had not heard before. Um, 
So it was really beautiful. But today, I think our goal uh, that we would love to be able to just communicate, I think, to our audience is um, sort of the importance of um, uh, the marriage between wealth and motherhood and how it, it doesn't have to be in conflict and maybe identify how we ought to be using our wealth um, as Catholics and what wealth truly is. Because I think there's a lot of misconception about wealth that um, I think becomes a mental gymnastics. And I say that because I come from Steubenville where, you know, um, I remember, you know, because of just the beautiful poverty spirit that we have, which I sincerely love, I just wanted to renounce any form of money or wealth because I just thought money was wealth and that was the only wealth. In the women's school, we define wealth as our capacity for generosity. It's both time and resources and it really is never an end in itself, rather a means to a greater end to be able to build the kingdom. So here for me in my own limited mindset was that I had to give up everything, any kind of, which some women are called to, right? And I think it, it, I needed a maturity to understand what wealth was in context of who my call was specific to, you know, what God is asking of me. So first of all, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself. Um, just, you know, kind of describe who you are and perhaps your journey so the audience can hear a little window in your soul. Well, first of all, it is, it's really an honor to be here with you. And so I thank you for inviting me into the conversation. And I just know that the Holy Spirit obviously works through the two of you because, you know, I had no idea this would be the topic. And as soon as Angela told me this week, I just thought, hmm, that's so interesting. I mean, not only does it go with exactly what I'm doing in the um, one vocation of my life that, you know, the, the, uh, my call to be an entrepreneur to help raise up other entrepreneurs, but you know, as I started thinking about it, I was like, wow, this goes back to like, it really speaks to where I've come from in my life. Like it really helped me. I feel like God's always saying, connect the dots, Christine, mm -hmm. connect the dots, you know? So it was like this, like a whoosh of, you know, going back to where I came from. So I was born and raised in Southern California, but my father is English. So my parents met in um, World War II, during World War II. He's from, he's was in the Royal Air Force and was serving actually in Canada. And my mother lived in Cleveland, Ohio. And some friends had, you know, some, some of the um, men down to meet some women, which, which they did that, that night. And so, so he comes from England. She was from Cleveland, Ohio. They had four children there. And then, you know, in a really rough time, actually, she moved to England and, and after the war, and she said, I just was like, wow, you know, she had lived in Ohio during the war. And it was like, I was doing all my fun stuff while he was still, you know, you know, fighting in the war or working in the war. And um, she said, and then I moved over there and it was like, well, we had to wait in line every day just to get a loaf of bread, just to do every, you know, to do everything. Um, so they came back here, had four children there, moved to Southern California after watching many rose parades and seeing that beautiful weather, you know, on, uh, on New Year's Day. And, and then I am the eighth child of eight. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually a lot younger. So they, they had, they had seven children in 12 years, and then I was born eight years later. So I'm kind of an only child, but I always had older brothers living at home because I have five older brothers and two older sisters. And, um, and I was born or raised in a little town called Azusa, California, mm -hmm. which is, stands for everything from A to Z in the USA. But if you grew up there, you'd know that you're not sure why they had that name because it didn't feel like it. Um, but the gift for me, I'm realizing, is that I, we were a very lower middle class family. Very, I mean, my father was a, a manager of um, Sears stores and not even the big stores. He was a manager of the catalog stores. So he had, you know, he would always be managing a different store. Um, so we didn't have a lot, but the beauty was that I had no idea that I didn't have a lot. Wow. Um, because I, so I went to, we went to Catholic school. I had my uniforms. That, that's what everybody wore every day. That's all I saw. I came home and I remember, I mean, I can distinctly remember opening my drawer, like to see what to wear, say on a Saturday. And I hardly had anything in there. I mean, it was like a, I mean, there was, you know, it's a regular drawer. Like I think of my kids' drawers now that like, I'm constantly like stuffing down to close them, you know. And I do, okay, what am I going to wear today? You know, 
and I could see my drawers with, you know, just the few things that they, I had in there. And, and my friends, though, the thing is that my friends also kind of were in the same, you know, it was the same, it, the culture was the same everywhere, you know, from everybody that I went to school with. Um, fast forward to when my children and I, you know, I live, we lived in San Pedro, California, when we had our um, first three children went to, we sent our children to the same Catholic school that my husband went to here, Holy Trinity Catholic School in San Pedro. And um, they, they saw, you know, it's so different, you know, 25 years, 30 years later, that, that, you know, the people that they're going to school with, there's such a gap. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it was like, wow. And it's, you know, in one little neighborhood school, small Catholic school, but there's a huge gap. We ended up at the time when we started our family, didn't have very much, you know, I had no idea what we would grow into, but, you know, we ended up being on the higher end of that gap, you know, mm-hmm. so then it became difficult for them to have people over to our house, not difficult, but it was difficult in that, you know, they were kind of always trying to downplay, you know, what we had. And, and then friends not wanting to invite them over because Mm -hmm. they didn't have what we had. And I even remember one of my daughter's best friends, um, they, they were a huge Hispanic family Mm -hmm. and that, that we were, you know, like they became part of our family because it was like sisters and all their kids that went to school with our kids and and they were still so close to, and they were always at Wita's house, which was their grandma, you know, Arbolita. So they always were at Wita's house and my kids loved spending the night at Wita's house and she couldn't figure it out. She's like, why, when she has this big house, why would she want to sleep here in a beanbag? You know, why, why, you know? And so, um, it's, it's, I, I just, that juxtaposition is, um, I don't know, it's just crazy to me of how we, where we've come. The other thing is, is that I went to, I didn't go to Steubenville, I went to USC. So I never left Southern California. I, and that's where I met my husband was at USC. And that was probably the first place I saw wealth. And wealth in the terms of money, right? Wealth in the terms of money. And I was on the very low spectrum there. So I'm in, you know, and I joined a sorority and um, moved into the sorority house because it was so much less expensive to, than, than to live and I had my food. And, but I couldn't do what, what all, you know, so many of the other girls could do. And um, I, I don't even feel like, I mean, yeah, I yearned to have the Volkswagen Cabriolet that they were driving. I yearned, you know, there was those few things, you know, those, those things that like you start idolizing. But um, I met, you know, my best friend, happened to be somebody also that couldn't afford what everybody else could afford. So when we went to a ski trip for spring break, we would ski one day and then everybody else would keep skiing. And we like would stay at the house where, we, you know, a friend's house. And we'd say, oh, that's, we found garbage bags and we would like go out and we had the best day. Like we would slide, you know, on, on garbage bags. But, um, but there I started seeing the uh, picture of wealth that I was like, I don't want that because everybody that I saw there that had a lot of money that all I saw was divorce. Mm-hmm. I saw just unhappiness. I saw, you know, bulimia and alcoholism and all this from, from these people that had a lot in what the world would term, you know, say is good. And so, and then I, and then I met this boy and he drove a BMW and, and I was like, mm, I don't know. And I actually, the first time I met him was at his house because it, there was a party there. And I was like, wow, I'd never been to a house like this. Never been to a house that was that big and that had all these cool things. And, um, and his name, lo and behold, was Joe Rich, right? So here, so not only, in fact, my husband's, I mean, my, my mother, the first time I said, oh, I met this guy, his name's Joe Rich. And she's like, he is, or that's his name? Because that was back when it was Joe Cool, right? It was like, everything was like, and so I, I looked, I'm like, hmm, I think maybe both, you know, but only because he drove a BMW, I didn't even know, you know? And so then we did start dating and I will never forget that, um, I never forget telling him like, I don't know if I can be with you because I don't, I'm scared of money. Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember specifically sitting in the car with him night, one night saying it's bad. Like I literally said, it's bad. Mm. And he's like, Christine, no, it's not. No, it's, I don't know who taught you that and where, you know, you got that, but I'm good. I'm a, you know, I'm good people. My family, you know, we're good people and we're, you know, and, 
so it was such a gift to become a part of his family mm -hmm. and to um, see a different side of it, to see a whole new world uh, of what wealth could look like when it was used for generosity, when it was, you know, really when it was, they felt like it was earned to give it away and to share mm -hmm. it. And, and I think that that's also the juxtaposition in why people don't understand capitalism mm -hmm. and, and where it's gone wrong. And, and I would, yeah, I won't even go there. I was going to say about our, I know our, our Pope really, I think does not care for capitalism, especially American capitalism. But I think, and I can understand that where he came from and where he was, that he saw it as it was, you know, in such a corrupt way, just like I had even seen wealth at USC, but not to be, um, not what it's, I think, really what God created it for. Yeah, that's a really good, um, almost image of the different juxtaposed experience, because I think your experience shaped your perspective in so many ways. And so I think the, you know, it's almost like a redemption of how you saw it. And honestly, if I think, if I, if I didn't meet a family that had three sons in the priesthood and um, was, I mean, I don't, they own many, many things and are extremely wealthy and the holiest people, like I think I would have still had a bad taste with wealth. Like I couldn't wrap my mind around holiness and wealth. Like it just was never supposed to be together because my idea of, of wealth was extravagance the way it was introduced to me and coming from Franciscan University, I almost felt like I had to be repulsed about wealth to be even considered holy. Mm -hmm. And, and the it was with beauty and the same with beauty too, right? Absolutely. Like for, it was like, oh, we can't, no, we, you, if you're, if you spend time putting makeup on, that's almost like. It's vanity. definitely not virtuous. Vanity. Yeah, it's vanity. It's, exactly. It's automatic vanity. Wealth was vanity. As a matter of fact, like I, my freshman year in college, Christine, I come, my quick background is that my parents, I didn't see my parents for five years. They work as immigrants in order for us to get here. So we live, you know, very comfortably in the Philippines, but it's a third world country. They work for a billionaire who literally adopted us, built an extension of their mansion. So from sort of this kind of like lifestyle where I played with children in the slums and I loved every second of it. Mm -hmm. I experienced so much joy to coming to the U.S. and experiencing the BMWs in the parking lot and kind of getting sucked into the def redefinition of wealth as a 13-year-old, but had no language for the struggle. Mm -hmm. And then going to Steubenville, I then had a language for what I was repulsed about, which was ironic because after I graduated, I said, I never want to go back to Potomac, Maryland, mm -hmm. where they modeled 90210. And guess where I was assigned? Five minutes from my high school with all the BMWs. I'm like, I want, I want nothing to do with this, God. But see, your experience I think is important because we need to clarify the distinction. Otherwise, this is why we don't, we're not in the church. I mean, I'm sorry, this is not why God isn't in the hospitals, in the schools, in politics, because I think we've given up the idea that money could ever be a form of sanctity and generosity therefore we'll leave it to everyone else and other moment father michael um scandalous uh, no father david ronka the problem with, with darkness is not darkness but lack of light something in that sort and i i remember like being an aha moment of like wealth and i'm like that's why hollywood is hollywood because our money is not in there or you know the schools you know and and you know i, I think of what's happening right now in our obviously like the pro-life movement, I'm like, our money needs to be there. You know, it's, it's a force, but what a wrestle for me, honestly. Yep. So, which leads to the next question. How did you reconcile with both your wealth and your faith as a woman? Because I know that that's important to you and maybe what that journey looked like. Hmm. <laughs> Trying to think of if I've even ever given that a thought, you know, I've, I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about a conversation I literally just had this week, this morning, sitting on the couch with my husband early in the morning. And we were talking about what does holiness look like and what does sanctity, what does sainthood look like, you know? And, and he just can't grasp. He's like, I can't be a saint because everybody that became a saint in his head, everybody renounced 
their wealth, right? They renounced it, they gave it away. It had to be poverty. You had to live in poverty or that's what is being portrayed somehow to him that you have to be in poverty to be a saint. And, and I was like, oh no, I guess, and not be married. He's like, I can't, I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm married. I have all these kids. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to go become a missionary. Like, you know, that's what it's like. He's afraid that if God calls me, I have to give up everything, maybe leave my family, not just his own children, but his, his father and, and his wife and, you know, all his sisters and their families. It's like, I don't want to go do, you know, go be called to somewhere else. And, and I just had to sit there with him and say, gosh, no, no. I mean, that's, that's a, a lie that we've been fed. And, and it's this, like, this ruse of, you know, in order to keep us from living saintly lives and, and every single person, you know, being called to be a saint. And, and so then with myself, I just think, I think that I always tried to stick to my beliefs in what, because I, I remember now I'm, I'm going back again, because my, my husband, that it was the tradition when they graduated from high school, they got a brand new car. And I said to him again, as we were dating, if we get married, my child will not get a brand new car when they graduate from high school. It's like, oh, Christine, that's just kind of a thing. You know, that's what we've done. Like, no, it's not a thing. <laughs> I've never heard of it until I met your family. You know, um, no, my child will not get a brand new car just because they graduated from high school. And not, I'm not down. I'm not saying, oh, your family was bad. Look at you're a beautiful family. And I love you and your sisters. And but that's not what I, that's not how I will be raising my family. And it was a tough, I mean, he, he's like, he really thought, well, by the time we get there, I'll convince her, you know? And when, and so I, it was very important to me mm -hmm. that my children, not that they had to earn everything mm -hmm. because I don't think that that, you know, I want to be able to give them gifts as well. Just like our father, you know, it's like our father in heaven gives us gifts. It's not about you have to earn it. You know, you have to go out and raise it, you know, earn it yourselves. No, because even the things I got from my parents, I didn't, earn, you know, what did I do to earn them? And I, even though it was so little, but, but it wasn't, they didn't need everything. I mean, I remember when there were just like little things with my son when he was very young, you know, he wanted um, little $5, $10 things at Target. You know, I can think of what they were back then. It was a finger skateboard. There were these little tiny skateboards that you used with your fingers. My uh, headphone's going to die here. Um, and, and so I thought, uh, and he wanted it. He's like, and you know, my husband's like, it's $5, get it from him. I'm like, it's November, Christmas is next month. Like, that's what you, you wait for those things. You know, you wait and you get those things. You don't just get things every day. And, um, so, and that's how I just thought that's how I'm going to, and then if they wanted it before, and they did save their money. That was a $5 thing. He might've bought that. But I thought, you know, it's just that anticipation of, you know, of being able to wait to get something, mm -hmm. which I've kind of lost now because anything that I want, basically I can go out and get, I don't have to wait for it anymore. You know? And when my children, when we first got cars, we always got them a used car. Mm -hmm. And the first couple, I was like, no leather interior. No, they have to have cloth interior. Cause I was like, there's, they have nothing to look forward to, you know? Mm -hmm. Cause I remember buying my first car and how it was just like how I took ownership of it and how I took care of it and how I, you know, and I made those payments and I, because, you know, I had, I was so excited. I had waited all those years. And so mm -hmm. I wanted them to be able to feel that. And I remember even when my girls, I think were in junior high, start of high school and, and some friends were saying something about you know, like what our kids had and they were talking about jeans. And I said, oh, my kids have no idea like what brands. Oh, they don't know about brands. And they're like, oh, Christine, you just don't realize it, but you're, yeah, they know brands. They know. I'm like, no, I can tell you they don't know brands. And I said like, they would have no idea back then. True religion was the, was the big jeans. And so I said, I said to, it was actually my business partner at my St. My Hair at the time, Amy, I said, my daughter's, and she said, oh, wait, because she had daughters the same age. Mm -hmm. And so she's, so she goes up to my daughter and she says, do you know what true religion is? And so my daughter's like, um, and of course she's thinking of me and she's thinking of my St. My Hero. And so she's thinking it's something like to do with religion, <laughs> no idea. So she's trying to like come up with something that, and Amy came back to me and she's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe you have high school daughters and they don't know th these brands. And I'm like, 
that's not important. Why you don't, we, they don't need the brands to look, you know, and so that, that was a way as a parent for me. And it, and it was just natural. I didn't, it, like I said, it wasn't a, no, they're not going to have this. No, we're not going to, it was, what do we, and it wasn't even like, what do we need? Cause we had more than we needed, right? We had more than we needed. I wasn't trying to live in poverty. Um, so again, they were so comfortable, but my son said to me, he's like, gosh, this friend of mine, he gives me such a hard time because of the house we live in. Mm-hmm. He's like, but he has the best surfboard, the best skis. He has golf clubs. He has, um, you know, the wetsuit. He get, Their parents have a boat. Their parents have this. And the parents are struggling. The parents are struggling, but the kids have all this stuff. And um, he's like, I don't have any of the stuff he has. And he gives me the hardest time. He acts, you know, he gives me the hard time. Like I'm supposed to feel guilty. He's like, I keep telling him, I don't have money. My parents have money, you know? Um, so I don't know in culture, like what are we doing when we, and I saw that even when I was, you know, having my children not have as much, um, that the people that were, you know, again, at this same Catholic school that I know could not afford what we had, their children had more than what what my children had more brands like not not more clothes but the brands or the this and I was like what are we doing here what and Christine I think you bring up such a a powerful point because this all comes back to our self-image and our self-worth you know how where are we rooted in our self-image and our self-worth and it's fascinating again how the Holy Spirit works because I have kind of a very um intermediary story in contrast to both of you, where, you know, my parents were probably upper middle class, but in my background, you know, my grandmother and, and my husband's family were both in extremely wealthy neighborhoods, but very devoutly Catholic. So for example, my husband's, you know, one of his next door neighbors, you know, child, literally mother of family of 10, you know, they were owner, owner of a major, major sports franchise. You know, my grandmother is similar grew up in a neighborhood that they, you know, many of her peers, were first generation, but they were entrepreneurs. They built companies and had a lot of resources, but were very faithful. And so when I, um, uh, when I went to, uh, to become a missionary, um, I, I started fundraising. And so it was fascinating because one of the, re- I basically made a decision with our Lord. I'm never going to let money be the reason why I can't serve you. And so, um, and in his providence, my grandmother happened to be, her parish is the wealthiest and yet most faithful um, parish in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And so as a 23-year-old, as I'm making all of these literally house calls and visiting people, I'm meeting these families who have a lot of resources, but were then also giving it away. And we're enabling me to be a missionary to go work on college campuses. And so as I continue to grow with that, with that organization, uh, with Focus, you know, I end up working with a lot of different entrepreneurs you know, on the East Coast and in D.C. and literally all over the country. And so I had this juxtaposition where I was working with billionaires and those that had excess, you know, incredible resources, but I saw them giving a lot of that, of that money away. And... Um, and doing incredibly powerful things for the church. And then as I was able to travel starting in, in high school, I was able to go on a, a choir tour in Austria and, and, and then travel in college. And then again, in my early twenties, it was fascinating going to these different European villages and towns and cities where you see the church was always at the center of the town. Mm-hmm. And you think back or visiting these monasteries, well, who paid for those churches and who paid for those monasteries? It was the religious in collaboration with the lay people. The lay people were giving up their time, talent, and treasure and giving their first fruits. And you could truly see these. I mean, again, as a child from the growing up in the Midwest, you know, where our church was 100 years old, you know, in a, and that was considered old, um, going to Europe and seeing, you know, the cathedrals and the churches and the infrastructure that's, you know, 1,500 years old, it's, just, it's mind-boggling. And yet the people, the, the lay people were the ones that were enabling this incredible growth of the, the universities, the systems, the schools, the churches, the orphanages. I mean, the Catholic Church founded the first universities and orphanages and hospitals, built the infrastructure of Western civilization. Well, where did that come from? You know, or even uh, the King and Queen of Spain funding Christopher Columbus to come to the United States. 
and, and, and really funding these different religious organizations. And even thinking about a lot of our, the saints that we, we held up, we hold up in such esteem, they were in fact living poverty, chastity, and obedience, but they were managing the equivalent of multi-million dollar operations. You know, I think of Mother Cabrini who had a whole network of orphanages and hospitals and schools. I mean, literally tens of millions of dollars in today's wealth that she was helping to manage and operate. Although she was first living entrepreneurs, the first female entrepreneurs, the first female entrepreneurs were our religious founding system. hospitals. Exactly. And women school. founding and hospitals. Precisely. I mean, and so I think that, you know, it looks a little bit different right now, but that to me, it was so fascinating for me as a missionary. Here I am literally fundraising my salary. And on one day I'm working with a college freshman or I'm working with someone on a mission trip. And then I'm talking with a billionaire in a Manhattan office and just seeing these different spectrums of the church and also how that money is used. And so I think that's something that we have to continue breaking down because for this younger generation of Catholics that we've, you know, we've been involved with missionary organizations or gone through Franciscan or many of the other wonderful Catholic institutions right now, there's this fear of wealth. And yet, who's going to be the ones supporting all of our amazing parishes and Catholic organizations? And that's the challenge right now is our, our parishes are suffering, our schools are suffering, our mission organizations are grasping for money. But what if all of us as Catholics were merely tithing 10%? as our Lord invites us to do, then we would literally have money to give away. I've got to give this money away. Mm-hmm. That, and, and the more, you know, people are constantly asking my husband and I for, for resources and, and, and money. And it's like, I, I want to make more so I can give more away. I'd love to be able to write that check. And that's, you know, my husband and I, one of our goals is we want to be able, when asked to write those checks um, as people are coming in need for those amazing organizations. So, it's, it's incredible how some of these, these false mindsets or perceptions are, are infiltrating the church, and yet they're the very things that are inhibiting us from living our mission yeah. as Catholics in the world. Yeah, and it, I'm fascinated because I think the way you're raising your children, it was, there was such an order to it that, you know, because there's a lot of people who have, like you said, that are poor, but are living like they've got so much money and they're slave to money, but they have nothing. Mm-hmm. But also you have a lot of people that have so much money that are not even a slave to it has, has the freedom to sort of, you know, just give it away and die. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a byproduct of Tom Monaghan. I'm living off of Maria who, you know, he used all his money to build an incredible Mecca for my family of eight children to, and I just keep thinking, what if he didn't? What if he didn't? I wouldn't have this space where I could raise the children and build the woman's school in context of this. So I re- um, the reason why I think this is an important, I maybe shift a conversation is I think there's just this, I think limiting belief that has become our subconscious conditioning and we don't even think about it, that um, the, it's almost this mindset of a trade-off where it's a scarcity mindset that in order to be successful, you need to leave your family. In order to have a lot of money, you have to live a life that's contrary to sanctity. And, but it's so subconscious that I think we're operating with that mindset in the domestic church because I'm seeing, okay, that you know our parish is suffering in our churches and we're not into schools and we're not into politics because our money's not there. But I think our domestic church is suffering because money becomes the source of a lot of lack of opportunities to... I think great wonder in God's, you know, divine world. Like in the woman's school, I say, you know, we teach women to have money for date night because right now we have to salvage our marriages. So we need money for a babysitter. We need money for our children to actually not buy trashy clothes, but clothes that are quality. So they understand and honor the body or like sanity money to have help. You know, I, I grew up with help. And it's, it's sometimes it's one of those things that people, I was ostracized. I used to be embarrassed for having help. After four children, I was, I was still teaching the, you know, the woman's school, but I did it as I did it for free. I never charged a dime. I did it for feeding you for free. And we would have set up conferences. So my husband saying, we should probably get like help after four kids. I had four kids under four. I was embarrassed to have some kind of help because, and meanwhile, I come from Potomac where everybody had help. Like it was, you know, my parents were helped. And my help, my parents had help, had help. Like we had <laughs> housekeepers. My parents were nannies who had housekeepers. It was like this bizarre world. 
but I remember a friend pulled me aside and said, January, your nice clothes are, are misleading people to a life of sanctity. Because I always thought that the first person I had to inspire was my husband and my children. I remember that the clothes you wear, I need to be able to, my children needs to, to be able to say, mom, mom gets it. Like, you know, she understands the importance of presenting herself. She pulled me aside, literally sat me down and one of my closest friends and said, Junior, you are leading people to a life of vanity. And I wasn't, I, I don't buy any, I don't even buy brand name clothes. I just thought it's important to present yourself. And I was, I'd had a public life and just public life is a prideful life. I mean, what I'm trying to say here is we've got to get at the heart of this, I think, um, beliefs that are limiting our God's dream for us, you know, because right now, like, for example, I, my son is a golfer and he's been playing golf since he was two. And so one of my husband's incentive was to make money so that he could, we could provide everything and say, listen, one day you get to scream that it's from God, mm-hmm. you know? But what if we don't have money to provide that gift for him? It inhibits his opportunity to become a saint golfer when we need a saint golfer, (laughs) you know? So I guess, what do you see are some of the limiting conflict or beliefs that we could almost identify in our church right now that we could almost dispel and replace? I think as women, because I sometimes, not sometimes, I all the time think that we are the voice of accountability and we ought to clarify some of these false distinctions so that we can rebuild our church with a proper foundation of what wealth truly is, mm-hmm. which is generosity. So maybe, you know, for you, like, what are these experiences you've had, even as a Catholic woman who is, like you said, your, your, your son was ostracized for having something, you know, the disorder that you've maybe experienced in the faith that we could kind of dispel today, at least. A little bit. It could be many series of books. <laughs> you know, as as you were talking, I was thinking because I always try and put myself because you had talked about um, those that don't have much, right? And then and then being a slave to what they're trying to bring their children, and then say somebody like myself, it's like they I, that that I don't even buy my children those brands, and they haven't. They still don't have these brands. My children don't have Louis Vuitton purses. They don't. Have, I mean, and they're you know 27, 25. You know, they're they don't have all those things. They don't look to those things. That's not something that they desire. It's not even a desire of theirs, which is interesting. I don't. I have to really think about how that how that happens. But I mean, there are things. It's nice to have nice things. It's okay. I'm not even saying that I have a Louis Vuitton purse. I have a bad, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, but I just thought it's sometimes it's like put ourselves in their position, those that, that don't have. And that, so I think that's what we need to dispel instead of, because from our side, um, our side, my, you know, from somebody that I think has, you know, more wealth than the average person, I think that they look at us and say, oh, it's easy for you to say, yeah. easy for you to say, you could just sit up there in your house with your beautiful view and say, oh, you don't need, you shouldn't, you know, but yeah, there's, there's no way they could under, they can't put themselves in my shoes. And they don't, I, and I often think like, if you knew where I came from, if you knew that my husband and I lived in an apartment below Pacific Avenue, and if you knew San Pedro, you'd know that's not a good, you know, for two years that, that police used our balcony for stakeouts, you know, that, that, you know, that we worked to get where we are and that I do know how you feel. That's more of it, you know, so I do know how you feel. And I, I have told my husband from day one, he knows. I'm like, if it's all gone, you know, the, I, that, I think that's such a beautiful relief for him because it's like, if it's all gone, he truly knows that I don't need anything. Like I don't need any of this stuff and that I can, I know I can live without it. Whereas I'm not sure he knows he can live without it. And I, but he knows that it's not going to be a problem. So I think that was one of the biggest gifts that I could give to him to take that pressure off. But but how do we put ourselves, and I think it's more the mindset of those that think they don't have and that they're trying to have and that credit cards have allowed them to have. Because like when I grew up, that's why I was, we were all the same because there weren't credit cards. There was credit and layaway and, you know, all those kind of things, but you were still working to get your things. You know, I mean, even layaway, it was like, okay, I'm going to pay it off. I mean, I couldn't wait to go get something that I had been waiting for for months that was sitting at the layaway desk. Um, and so 
I don't know. I just think that, so I'm trying to put myself in their shoes to say, yeah, but you don't understand. You don't understand what it is like to live in this world and not be able to give your children, you know, what everybody else is giving their children. Um, how do we stop that? Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's the bigger question. How do we stop the keeping up with the Joneses? How do we stop that um, that, that stuff is necessary? I think that that, again, I don't know this time that we're in right now in 2020, um, I don't know where God, what part God has in this, in COVID and in our quarantine and in things that are happening. Um, but I know he's here and I know he's taking care of everything. And I, and I know he wasn't surprised by what's happening, right? He wasn't surprised by this. It was like, this is, he always knew this was going to happen here and this time in this. Um, but I feel like what he's using it for is to take away all these attachments. So I'm hoping, I mean, it's really my prayer in this time that um, I know that online shopping, you know, has gone up like that's, the, you know, like people are online shopping because they can't go out. But I mean, I haven't really bought anything. And it's the first time I haven't bought anything because I'm not going out to stores. I'm not being attracted to things I don't need. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like he's saying, let me remind you of, of what's important. You know, the domestic family, which has been a huge thing on my heart during this time. Like, and the things I've, I've been hearing from people that have and that don't have, that what have they found in this time is that, wow, like, it's so awesome not to be going to, you know, soccer tournaments and this thing and this, you know, travel baseball, because we're just home. Mm-hmm. I'm home with my kids. Like, these are families that, you know, sports was everything, and they're loving it. And then there's those that so I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, I pray that those that don't have, that it's taken that pressure off, you know, and um, I don't know, how can we do that? I don't know. I would love to wrestle well, through that. I think it's an important conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever we need to do is an important conversation because right. it's a wrestle. Go ahead, Ange. Right. And if I could just speak to that, I think you just bring up such a point, Christine, that, you know, one of the major themes that we constantly come back to at the woman's school is how can we eliminate and replace competition, comparison, and control, which I think are just literally a pandemic within women cultures. And, you know, we constantly fall into that. And, and, you know, the more that we're rooted and grounded in God's love and in our deepest self-worth as his beloved daughters, then we can actually have the freedom. And that's so much of what our work and that the foundational skill work we do in the woman's school is releasing the shackles, identifying the wounds, identifying the limiting beliefs, replacing those with healthy mindsets and skill sets so that we can actually move from that competition and comparison can control and we can celebrate, we can collaborate. And, you know, I think the biggest antidote to control is consecration to our blessed, our blessed mother who then commissions us. Mm-hmm. And when we're so busy working on, and so focused and working on our unique contribution, God's dream and desire for us and what our unique light is in the world, we forget, we don't have time to compare. We don't have time to compete with others because we're so focused on what God has commissioned us to do. And, um, and I think that's what's so key and why tapping back into our desires and our dreams and why entrepreneurship for women is so essential. Because when we are living out our God-given dream and the desires he's placed upon our heart, we are, we're, we're focused, we're contributing our light. And the more that we impact people, the, the fruit of contribution is resources. I mean, that's the beautiful, beautiful thing about our society right now that is set, you know, this is as broken as the United States is, it's still the best human experiment in all of world history. It's still the best of whatever the human family has ever come up with. Agree. I love this country. And, yeah. and it's, it's, we are so blessed to be here. And, and that's one of the beautiful things. The way that the system is designed is the more people that we impact for the good, there's, there's a gift that's given in return. And that enables us to then turn and bless others. And so that's why I think it's so critical for women to begin this process of exploring their hearts and dreaming and desiring and, and, and following your example and model that entrepreneurship is not in, uh, and motherhood are not in contradiction. Mm-hmm. Because we actually then have to model for our children how we're living out our dreams so that we can launch them into their dreams and their yeah. desires. 
And that's something that both of you just model for me so beautifully. And I hope to model for Catherine. I think it's a narrative that definitely in the Catholic space, but also all throughout needs to be really dispelled, the conflict between motherhood and being able to be a voice outside our homes. And I write extensively about this because I obviously both, you know, the woman's school and a mom of eight. And I keep thinking, do I choose between God's call in my life or is God's call in context of my vocation? So I think that's an important switch of narrative that we often are fighting the wrong battle. And the battle is that we have to choose. And I don't think God dangles a carrot and say, I'm called to be a mom, but then just kidding, you have to choose. I think that our vocation is in context of our contribution, both in our home and outside our home, and that our contribution outside our home is an overflow of our contribution in our homes. And that it's not, you know, one or the other. I think it's the disorder around it, which is why in the woman's school, we really talk about the integrated woman, because it doesn't matter what we achieve and we lose ourselves, our children, our marriage is on the path. That's still not fulfilling because the byproduct of generosity is fulfillment. It's almost like it's, it's the, um, the gift that God gives us, you know, it's the consolation is that we live a life of fulfillment because it's your life is about other people. But when, you know, but we're also, what I'm seeing is that as mothers, maybe they wanted God put a dream in their heart, but they had, because they had to choose, there's a resentment and a resignation mm -hmm. because their self-worth has become um, defined by motherhood that they're forgetting all the different arenas of their life, that they're not even sleeping with their husbands, you know, in the same room, that their house is supposed to be, you know, um, just a place you stay in and not no longer a form of excellence. And I think that's where I think we need to shift the narrative is that whatever we're called to, we're all called to life of both excellence and generosity. Mm -hmm in our home and outside our home. And I, I think the con we're fighting the wrong battle when we talk about wealth, as opposed to redefining wealth as a path to formation and redefining motherhood as a life of formation. You know, it's not, you know, I, I just keep thinking, I would never want to look at Pia, my daughter, my 10 year old, so you're the reason I gave up on God's dream for me. Mm -hmm. You're the reason I had to work my tail off to expand who I need to become, to right. give, birth to God's dream in my heart. And I tell her that, you know, and I'm like, you need to give birth to God's dream in your life, which means that you need to live a life of discipline in order to receive that gift, just as mom is doing right now. And I need your help, you know? And so I just think that there, it has to be almost, and maybe this is a great segue to what you're doing, you know, Christine, because we need to reestablish, I think the life of formation as an entrepreneur and to dispel this, obviously, we are exposed to a lot of the corruption of money being used in so much of all the bad things that we forget of all the many ways that money is used for all the great things mm -hmm. where we can expand truth, beauty, and goodness and rebuild our domestic church, which is really kind of where I want you to maybe speak a little bit about, you know, mother and being entrepreneur and also what you're doing to rebuild entrepreneurship as a form of contribution to our faith and to the world. Mm -hmm. a well, I thought, I, I thought it was interesting that you said about, you know, you said if there's a disorder because I, that's exactly what I had been thinking in my head. The opposite was, it was what is the order of mm -hmm. our vocations, you know, as, and so, and that's something that I had to learn and knowing that first I'm a daughter, you know, I'm a daughter of God, a daughter of the king of this universe, you know, so that is my first vocation is just to sit in that and know that I don't have to do anything else, really. I don't have to do anything else. Um, the second then, which I have chosen, which I chose was to be a wife, you know, so and, and then a wife and mother. So that's my primary vocation on this earth is to be a wife and a mother. And I think that's what happens is that gets disordered because then my secondary vocation, you know, became was became entrepreneur, which again, only through God, because that's not what I saw myself as being. And, you know, like, like Angela said, I studied journalism and I, I studied it, you know, in the context of um, Soviet studies at the end of the Cold War, thinking I was going to be this cor correspondent, you know. So I had these other dreams for my life and, and God kind of rerouted me. Um, but I think that that is, that's like the number one thing is for people to give order to their life in that, in that order. And, and depends, you know, again, what, what is your state in life? 
but mine is, you know, first to be a daughter and daughter of God, and then to be a wife and a mother, and then to be, you know, an entrepreneur and a friend. And, uh, you know, all of those things have to come after being, you know, a wife and a mother. And God blesses that. I have no doubt. And I mean, I've seen it over and over. And I think that that is where the battle is. And I think that women have been deceived mm -hmm. by a different movement of feminism that, that we can, and the, and the, you know, the devil always does such a good job because he puts the, something out there that is such an obvious truth that women can do everything. Well, of course. And, and, and it's like, we've been fighting so long to show that we can do everything. It's like, what, do, what are we fighting for? Look at, we're going, you know, we just talked about going back hundreds or thousands of years of women founding all these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we, that's, that was never something that we needed to fight that we could do everything. The problem is, is that what, what we've been kind of told, or I think what's come underlying is that we can do it all, all at the same time. Well, there's the lie. You can't do everything and do it well all at the same time. So that's, that's what we need to look at in our lives. You know, that's what we need to figure out and balance. And that's where the give and take comes. And that's, you know, so that has to be something that you talk about, you know, that young couples talk about as they're getting married, like, what is this going to look like? I mean, my husband it was just always like, well, he wanted me to stay at home. He wanted me to stay at home. He wanted me to stay at home. And like I said, I was, well, I was freelance. And so I was kind of able to do both. Remember I had the best of both worlds and I had somebody that would, you know, that would watch my children while I worked. But I, every time I had a new child, you know, my life changed drastically and his didn't, he would get up the next day and go to work. And I remember like him driving out of the driveway and having that resentment, like, wait, your life doesn't change. Of course you want to have all these children. Your life doesn't change. You don't lose anything. You don't get, you know, and um, whereas my life changes. And I think that's where something like the woman's school would have been just like mm -hmm. so huge for me back then so that I would know I would have the tools mm -hmm. to deal with those transitions in life. I'm like, wow, nobody's taught me this. You know, mm -hmm. nobody taught me that, how to transition. It's not that it's, you know, and that in every transition or in every change that there's, um, that there is loss as well as gain, even with something as beautiful as having a child. I mean, look at, look at what we gain. I mean, how could I say it's a loss, but you do lose, you lose freedom, you lose time, you lose, you know, identity in who you were. And, and so, but nobody tells you that you don't know that that's coming, but all of a sudden you're faced with it, you know, like, you wake up and you're, you're faced with it and you haven't been given the tools. So um, I don't even remember where our question was or where no, I got I there with that, but I think. Beautiful. No, I think that's the crisis is that we're not prepared enough. And so we're just reacting all day long, trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. It's like you learn motherhood while you're in battle. It's like learning how to swim while you're trying to teach your child to swim. It doesn't work. I think that our, our formation, which is why we're doing the woman's school and obviously we've got our church, has to be a life um, something we need to kind of start from beginning of life to the end of life and that it never ends. And, you know, people always come up to me and say, Jane, you've got it all figured out. You're a mom of eight. I'm like, I feel like every child is the beginning of a new formation. Like it, 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 honestly, and I say that with complete utter, like, oh, the work begins because gosh, it's like, it's, I think we're trying to solve the same domestic church problem with the same skill set and mindset, and it doesn't work. That's called lunacy. And so every single time I have a child, my, you know, my leverage skills, my management skills, my time management, skills, my boundaries have to expand in ways I probably never thought about it with two kids. Right. And so it's not that we can't have it all. We can't do it alone. Right. You know, and at the same time, like you said, but not with the same skill set. The expansion, which is what we talk about, the life receptivity, is what allows me to see what's possible for just the next step. <laughs> you know, like God doesn't reveal the whole thing. Like, I think God, I would have told God he was crazy, but I do. <laughs> and he would be like, okay, you're doing the homeschool school and eight kids and, you know, raising all these kids. I'm like, no way, God, that's not. But it's like that step of formation, one, you know. And so that's why I think that, you know, for us here in the woman's school is really about 
like back on our knees, mm -hmm. back to boot camp and say, Lord, form me. You yes. know, because I think information does not equal transformation. What we know does not equal I am. And that's what we try to teach in the woman's school is that information plus formation, which is a life of discipline, then equals massive transformation. That's what motherhood is. That's what makes entrepreneurship possible without compromising motherhood, you know? And so I just love this conversation because it's raw, it's real. And it's something that I feel like I'm beginning this journey mm -hmm. of a life of um, entrepreneur, I think as, as a mom of eight. And here you are. I mean, all the way you're raising your kids, like that's the whole time you're talking. I'm like, my goal is my kids to not know name brands. It's like a silent goal where they love beautiful clothes without the name brands. Like, that's amazing that you're able to create a culture, hold your husband accountable. I noticed that right away and say, no, not brand new car. Like the strength of you, Christine, to hold true to what is valuable, mm -hmm. right? Because right now our worth is connected to a possession, right? Our popularity, are, yeah, and so it becomes a crutch to who we truly are. And what you were done was defy that without probably even knowing it to raise these children with such an ordered perspective, you know, of wealth. And now you're going to be teaching this archetype, which I'm really excited, archetype group, I'm excited about, and to drink from your well because I think we need your voice both as a faithful woman an entrepreneur and a mother. For me, I'm hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to tell you about Archetype and what we are doing there because it goes so perfectly with, you know, you have your definition of wealth and, and in Archetype, what we try and show both the entrepreneur and the investors that are coming together to raise up these entrepreneurs is that, you know, wealth is defined in, you know, and return on their investment for the entrepreneurs, I mean, excuse me, for the investors by not just the financial return and not just the financial intake, you know, as an entrepreneur, but that, that there are four areas of wealth or four areas of the return on our investment. And those being, of course, the financial return, mm -hmm. but the others that are just as valuable, if not more valuable, are the personal return. What did I gain personally? How have I, you know, formed, what have I learned in this? Um, and, and those around me, those closest, and then the communal return, which is, you know, how am I raising, uh, how am I bettering my family, my community, you know, and what is, are, you know, am I, what are they gaining? What are the people around me gaining? And the last one being the spiritual return. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that leads to the eternal return, right? That is what really what we are, you know, what we want to store up is that eternal wealth for, for, our, um, for our eternal life in heaven. And that's what we want to do is how many people are we going to bring? How many people are we going to bring to heaven with us? When we get to heaven, you know, I mean, we want that, that army of saints there saying, thank you. I'm here because of you. Um, and I would love to talk to you about all that, but archetype group does rosary every friday morning and i'm leading and that starts in just a few minutes yes. so, <laughs> i didn't realize the time that has gone by oh that's okay and thank you so much but maybe we can, you know i'd love to you can continue conversation yeah i yeah. feel like that's a whole other topic and the entrepreneur because i would love to get into that and i've been mentoring some young women and and through um, the, I'm on the board at the Catholic University, um, at the Bush School of Business at Catholic University. And, you know, mostly, most of the time, the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to, um, I would love to talk about it. Yes. When we have more time. A really important topic. <laughs> We're going to invite you again. So so, so powerful, so anointed. And I think too, just, this is such a critical conversation because I think every woman uh, that we're, we're in dialogue with is wrestling with these questions. And I think the more that we can create distinction, we can bring clarity, you know, clarity equals freedom, freedom Amen. to walk into our call, freedom to walk into our contribution and our freedom to give generously to the church that is hurting so desperately. So we just cannot thank you enough for your witness, for your example, and um, just for being with us this morning. So this is hopefully the first of many conversations. 
Well, thank you for having me. And I would normally love to close in prayer, but I'm going to say that, that know that I will be united with you in prayer in the rosary that I'll just be saying, I'll be offering it up for the women's school and for, for all women and for, um, for young women and even women, I mean, even women my age and older, like we want this, we want this to be, um, in my family, we call it generational blessings, like what my mother gave and what I know the women before her gave and what I want to give to those that are coming after me. That's what, that's what I'll be praying for you and for everybody that comes to the women's school when, as I'm praying my rosary right now. Thank, thank you, Christine. So thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. God bless you. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear from you. Please write us at info at com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. And to learn more about our work at The Woman's School, please visit our website, thewomanschool.org. Finally, we encourage you to take the wholeness quiz, which you will find on our website, thewomanschool.org. Because as St. Edith Shine taught us, as a woman becomes whole, she becomes a pillar on which others can lean to be made whole. Thank you, ladies. Until next time, let us rise and together rebuild our church.